Hello and welcome to this month's edition of Slugger TV. This month we're going to be looking at the recent DUP conference, the new Ulster Unionist leader Steve Aiken, and also the impact of the Ulster Unionist potentially running in all 18 constituencies. And to go through these topics we have the former DUP Special Advisor Tim Kearns and the commentator Sarah Crichton. Uh, last weekend had the DUP's uh, conference. Obviously it's been a bit of an up and down year for them since last year when they had Boris Johnson at their conference. What did you make of just the general uh, atmosphere that you saw on TV about the conference? Well, it seemed to me the first thing that I noticed is numbers were down. Um, it's hard to tell on television, but it looked like there were quite a few empty seats uh, in the room, and that's very unusual for DUP conferences. They're usually packed to the rafters, and it's usually standing room only at the back. And it also seemed a little subdued, uh, and certainly that's what I'm hearing from people who were at the conference, that the mood was subdued, that it was a little bit down in terms of, uh, particularly comparing it to last year when Boris was there, there was a lot of you know flag waving and the crowd were energised, but it seemed to be a little bit more subdued, a little bit more downbeat, less stands uh, outside the conference and the exhibition area. So everything probably reflects the mood of where the DUP are at at the moment. Okay, and why do you think that is? Just out of curiosity, why do you think that, that there was less energy in the room? Well, I think Obviously, the Brexit betrayal, for, for want of a better term, is probably why I think things were subdued. I think last year, you know, having uh, Boris Johnson, the big beast of the Conservative Party there, but this year, of course, the contrast and the juxtaposition of he's the person who betray betrayed them over the last couple of weeks. And I think people were probably just a bit down about that. Brexit just hasn't gone quite as well as what people would have thought. Mm -hmm. Elections looming. Uh, people probably aren't too excited about going knocking the doors at the moment. Okay. Sarah, what do you think? The mood that Tim got is, is similar to what I've heard from people just talking in general about the conference. Like it was um, Suzanne Brennan on Sunday Politics said she wasn't even sure if it was a DUP conference. Um, it was very subdued. Um, there was less uh, less attacks on 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 oppositions on, on Sinn Féin and the Alliance Party and the SDLP. Um, it what didn't have the same feel as any other DUP conference, and I think it's just because that we're in this vacuum of of what Boris Johnson has done, and the party is very much feeling very isolated. I think at the moment, so certainly it it's, it shows that the party really is in the very good place at mm -hmm. the moment. But um, there's still enough there that makes you think. Well, look, if maybe if Johnson or somebody manages to maybe change this daily wee bit, that there's still maybe a route out of them for this you know it wasn't in that sense that you know, we're completely mm -hmm. done with the Tories but I think it was it was Jim Shannon was the only one that really mentioned the fact that he was there last year so it was it was an awkward type of conference but it's still a DUP that's still looking for a way out here and still trying to look for the way forward you know. This was obviously Arlene's fourth conference speech as party leader but uh, she's only ever given one as first minister um, what do you think of, of, of her pitch and her tone so she was talking about um, being open to the Irish language, but you know, and, and willing to talk about how to move forward on issues around that. But she was also again critical of Sinn Féin about their boycotts, and again about the fact that the DUP have delivered uh, for the Irish language in some respects, but Sinn Féin haven't. Mm -hmm. what, what did you make of, of of her tone and pitch at the conference? She did say some very similar things last year, and of course that probably got lost in the noise of Boris Johnson being there. So she did make very similar remarks about culture acts and a new cultural way forward in last year's speech. And but she did go, I think, a little bit further. I think there was almost a, an olive branch was, was given out to Sinn Féin. I almost got the impression that Arlene was sort of signalling, let's go back to the deal of February last year. Um, maybe the, there's the bones of that being able to be sold. I think for the DUP, they need to get Stormont up and running again mm -hmm. for credibility. And I think they need to be able to get the, the institutions going. Although 
I think what we're saying is Sinn Féin are just going to hold this intransigent line uh, and they're not going to go back in. I think they're going to want more concessions than what was on offer in February last year. And I think something needs to be done about that. We can't have institutions that just can just be collapsed at the whim of one party. And I think, you know, whatever the DUP negotiate and whatever the DUP gets to get things up and running again, that needs to be at the heart of it. This needs to be something that can last. Okay. Sarah, what did you make of what Arlene Foster was saying? It, it might be an olive branch, but I think it's a bit too little too late. I think at this point they've destroyed any goodwill that anybody may have had towards them with regard to the Irish Language Act. Um, the, the previous deals, I think, still floats over to them and the, and the, the possible concessions, if, if that's how some people think about it. Um, but I, I really do think, you know, many people will be watching that and saying, well, I mean, they don't really mean this. They're not really prepared to, to go far. They've already... Um, refused and insulted the Irish language up to this point, can we really take them seriously? So I, there may be some hope out there, obviously, I think maybe activists will be thinking, well, look, you know, obviously, look, they're maybe already trying to rethink this, so they may be trying to reach a branch out, but I, I think politically, I don't think it's really going to do anything for them. You know, they've, they've, they've completely made this into a bogeyman. How do they how do they convince their supporters if they're going mm -hmm. to make concessions? How do they bring them back down again? Mm -hmm. Out immediately after Arlene's speech, it was Doug Beattie who was saying, we need to see what the, the DUP's position is on Irish language. We need to see how far they're going to go and give concessions. So it was almost the Ulster Unionist Party just were ready to pounce on Arlene for that. But look, I think... You know, there does come a point in time when you, you've got to say, look, we've got to get these institutions back up and running. We've got to get Stormont working again. Uh, you know, decisions are just not being made. The, you know, this place isn't being run properly in terms of the health service, in terms of education, in terms of day-to-day -day decisions for, for charities. Those decisions aren't being made, so something needs to be done with it. It is direct rule, and I think we see a very weak Secretary of State who's not prepared to take any action on any of this, is prepared to continue to pander to Sinn Féin and all of this and allow them to be the party who have collapsed the institutions. So I think, you know, at some point in time, we've got to say, like, something has to give. Somebody has to get let go of the red line so we can get these institutions back up and running for the betterment of everybody here. People, I think, would just be watching them speak and thinking, you know, they don't want the institutions to come back unless something changes and they've reached the point where they just think if it comes back and it collapses again if it's just going to be the yeah. same old same old and you, you are getting um, some calls for reform of the institutions that if it is going to come back there has to be if it's a petition of concern whether it's a complete fundamental reform of the institutions themselves to allow them to work again and I mean more than anything the institutions aren't going to be able to work unless the two the two parties are willing to make concessions unless they are willing to work together Sarah's right on that, yeah. There needs to be fundamental change at the heart of the institutions. Like, we cannot have institutions that can be uh, dropped, suspended, at the drop of a hat at the, at the behest of just one party. So something needs to fundamentally change for the institutions to come back. I don't think Sinn Féin are ready to negotiate that. and I don't know where the DUP are at really with, with an Irish Language Act. Will Sinn, Sinn Féin accept a culture act like Arling was proposing because the day last year in February it was this convoluted process where there's a culture act and then it all divides out into three separate acts and <coughs> but they're not three separate acts they're one act and I think the problem was nobody was just really buying the cosmetics of that I think the time's come for just a standalone Irish language act that's fairly benign like the Scottish act and let's just get things back up and running. This shouldn't be an issue really you know it, it would have been the common sense would have been to agree a standalone Irish language act but make the make the provisions very mirror Scotland and Wales you know I think we've got lost down in the details about you know the civil service provisions about road signs that type of thing mm -hmm. you know there are sensible provisions that could be put into an Irish language act that will be acceptable to many people I think and yeah. and it would allow the language to grow and, and you can see that with with what Linda Irvine's been doing you know it's 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 very easy to try and make this accessible for everyone but so, 
you know, what do we do? Okay. So, just that you can dangerously close to endorse the Irish Language Act there, uh, Tim, by the way. I think, I think there does come a point in time when somebody's going to have to climb down, uh, whether that's Sinn Féin or whether that's the DUP. And I do think Arlene, she wasn't climbing down on Saturday, but was certainly given an, uh, an, uh, the olive branch of saying, look, let's get some sort of culture act up and running. Look, the devil's in the detail of all of this. What does the Irish Language Act say and what's that going to lead to? I mean, if I think if there's some sort of role for an Irish language commissioner or something like that, I think that's probably something that unionists wouldn't be able to buy. But if it's something like you know the Scottish Act, where the idea is about promoting the act, that it doesn't have um, the same equivalence and standing as as, the, as English does. I mean, Scotland used some creative language in and around that to do that. And there's this monitoring of how, of how the language is promoted. Something like that is probably the bones of the way forward. Mm -hmm. But would Sinn Féin accept that? I don't know that Irish language activists would, would accept that, although they're always on the radio saying, you know, look at Scotland, look at Wales, and there's other acts across the UK. We need an act similar here. But I actually don't think they'd accept something as benign as the Scottish Act. But I don't think that unionists could offer anything more than that. That deal didn't go through also because mm -hmm. there, were, there were members of the unionist alliance community who, were, who would not accept even anything at all and I think that that is going to be the big issue is mm -hmm. if, they're, if they're going to be prepared to reach out an olive branch here I mean how did how do they march their supporters back down the hill again they've yeah. made this into, into, into a bogeyman. Yeah. Another thing that was talked about at the conference which which we found was uh, very interesting was this talk of next generation unionism I mean the DEP uh, conference booklet mm -hmm. talked about Northern Ireland becoming less of a religious society mm -hmm. which for the DUP mm. uh, for a DUP document to mm. to talk about that Arlene then referenced this in her speech changing demographics and the change going on within Northern Ireland and that we need a next generation using and Emma Little Pengelly South Belfast MP referenced this as well what did you make of that I mean you've been in the DUP for years Tim what, what do you what do you think's going on there how should we read that well, I think obviously all political parties need to think about their future. Something that's interesting in the lucid talk breakdown of the of the European election, the, the DUP demographics were pretty interesting in that in that breakdown. They were almost equally divided through the four quadrants: twenty five percent, twenty five percent, twenty five percent, twenty five percent across age demographics. Um, and so I think that's interesting in, in many ways because I think most people would see the DUP as a party that's supported by older people, and um, where younger people are more uh, supportive of Greens and all that. Certainly those parties from what we saw in that lucid talk data um, those parties are attracting a greater percentage of young people that that's that's for sure but it's not that the young people aren't supporting the DUP but I do think that as we come to the centenary of Northern Ireland unionists I think do need to look at the next hundred years and see what our place is within the union see what our place is within society and, and within uh, our community I notice that the DUP are concentrating more on green issues I see uh, the DUP policy team tweeting and retweeting everything mm -hmm. to do with carbon tax and green issues so they're making a real push on that I think uh, to have some credibility in and around that because I think obviously we see that, that is something that resonates hugely with younger people I think it's also noteworthy that same-sex marriage has been almost completely dropped by the DUP as an issue uh, it wasn't mentioned at all over the last week um, when the the provisions came into force last Monday night uh, same-sex marriage wasn't something that was on the DUP agenda and I think you know the DUP is consciously moved away from issues like that and moved issues that, uh, of green issues more to the fore and I think it's certainly been interesting to see that happen and that's certainly with one eye on, on trying to get this younger vote and, and, and refresh unionism. Okay. Sarah, what do you think? I, you know, we talk about next generation unionism, I mean that's a very interesting concept. Um, the difficulty is very often within unionism, it's often that you can be unionist, you can't be anything else. 
if you're a feminist, if you're socialist, if you're left-wing, liberal, that you have to put that aside to be unionist and you have to back political unionism's interpretation of unionism, essentially. And I think for a lot of young people, that is very hard to square. Mm-hmm. You know, so we had the DUP up in Stormont the other week um, trying to get the institutions back to stop abortion reform. Um, our laws are in breach of the European Convention of Human Rights. Apparently that's fine. Um, that's not, you don't really get to be, call yourself an inclusive party when you do that, in mm-hmm. my opinion. And I think, obviously, look, you know, Tim's right, a lot of young people do still vote for the DUP, and I think that is forgotten when we talk about the Alliance Party and the Green Party, those that, you know, Sinn Féin, the DUP, Unionist, Nationalist parties are still incredibly popular with young people. And I think we have to be careful not to exclude them from this. But if you want to try and talk about next generation unionism, if it's only within the narrow parameters of, of conservative right-wing unionism, you're not going to get anywhere. But interestingly, one thing Arlene Foster said in an interview with Mark Crothers, and she references also in her speech, you talked about abortion there, that the DUP are committed. If an executive is restored, mm. they will legislate to repeal back. The Northern Ireland Assembly does not have legislative competence where um, an issue, it, it's found to be in conflict with the convention. So the courts have said it's in conflict with the convention. So I don't see how the assembly has the competence to legislate, to mm-hmm. allow, to stop abortion in cases of fatal fetal abnormality and rape and incest. Okay. Those are the only two areas that, that were, were found to be in breach. So it's not that abortion, no. uh, that a, a legislation of controlling abortion is, um, is in contravention of the convention. And of course, I mean, an interesting point to, to remember is it'll be for the Attorney General to decide whether the law is in breach or not before it can be passed and then it'll be up to a court to decide thereafter. So, I mean, if the Attorney General says the Assembly has competence, and I think he will, then it'll be ultimately for a judge. I would say that probably subject to legal challenge if, if, <laughs> if, if that's the case because the Supreme Court um, precedent is very strong in this case and we've also just had the Belfast High Court has recently said it's um, in breach of the European Convention as well. Yes you're right you know obviously it's within the, it's within the devolved um, remit of the Assembly so obviously the Assembly can obviously legislate for this but um, when we start to talk about what the legal framework is going to look like mm-hmm. if it is the case where we mirror the Republic where it's allowed within within 12 weeks maybe past the 12 weeks in cases of FFA um, if, if that can be agreed upon um, obviously you know that I think many mm-hmm. activists would be happy with that some of them would like more than that but you know it is if for the DUP to say that they're going to go back in and try to legislate so that rape victims who are 12 year old have to get on a plane with the members of the PSNI to go to England to get an abortion we come mm. back to that thing that they're talking about being an inclusive party. If that's what they want, they're not going to really be able to wear that label. They're okay. not. And obviously that can create other issues for the reformation of an executive down the line. Well, so. it, it, I think that's when you're going to have to come back to talk about the petition of concern. You're going to have to talk about the institutions themselves and, mm-hmm. how, and, and how they operate. Um, because obviously if, if it can be blocked, if one party can block this either way, you know, that's going to be the difficulty. Mm-hmm. You know? So we're continuing on the theme of unionism here. Uh, but... Uh, Steve Aiken, he's not officially the party leader yet, but nominations have closed. He will become the new leader of the All Students Party after Robin Swan uh, announced he was stepping down. Steve Aiken, just in, just in general, he seems to be more on the liberal wing of the uh, All Students Party, much more stridently so. Um, as someone who has mapped out campaigns, Tim, and you applauded uh, against many uh, uh, All Students leader and uh, t- how to combat them. How do you think Steve Aiken? just on paper uh, coming in is? Well, he certainly looks like he's going to be a lot more lively than Robin Swan was. And I think what he is also going to do is he's not going to position the party to the right of the DUP. Um, certainly, well, maybe on victim, victims issues, I think they'll still probably be to the right of, of the DUP on that. But on everything else, I think it looks like he's taking them a shift to the left. I think it was very clever of him to get out on Friday and get out on the front foot and steal the headlines on Saturday morning. I thought, thought that was quite a clever tactic. Although I think, 
some of his message I think he maybe should have reflected on before he said it. He was trying to be quite hard, hard-hitting and, and really kind of go for the DUP on the day of their conference and I think he really should have been a little more circumspect about pacts uh, and the tactics in and around that. I think he maybe shot himself a wee bit in the foot with that but I think he can still claw that back if, I think if he's clever over the next couple of weeks. Okay, Sarah what do you think of Steve Aiken coming in as I wouldn't say shift on the yellow sternness to the left. I think a lot of people on the left would say he's just shifted them slightly to the centre. Um, but um, no, certainly I think he, he's made his mark. He said, you know, that that I think he's trying to distinguish himself from the party, particularly with with North Belfast. He's trying to say, you know, um, that they're not going to enter into this pact. And I think um, I think it's you know if, if he's talking about them betraying unionism and them failing unionism, I do think if you enter into a pact with them, that um, doesn't look particularly good. But I think. Um, Alex Kim was writing this morning in the papers in the newsletter, you know, I think for some unionists they will say, well, if, if by doing that you're going to allow Sinn Féin to take that seat, for some unionists that maybe won't look very good either. So he is running that that fault line of, of the Lundy Leash getting thrown at him mm -hmm. in particular. Um, so he's saying, well, yes, you're going to take a stand against unionism, but at the end of the day, bigger picture here, we're all opposed to, to republicanism and nationalism, which ugh, I mean, is depressing in, in one sense, um, but it's politics. But um, I think, yeah, he's made, his, he's made his mark, but I think it will, it will, it will as it goes forward, it will, we will have to see what happens. Other else unionist leaders have set out to be strangely different from the DUP and have then gone back. Yeah. So we just have to wait and see, I think. By, by the left, I mean to the left. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, I didn't mean, I didn't mean to make some sort of oh, non-Ireland yes. Labour party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think, I think for, for Steve Aiken, he would have been better. You know, I, I take what Sarah said about pacts, but I think he, did, he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to have a pact with the DUP. I think what he could have done on, on Saturday, I think, would have been very strong if he'd have done this. If he'd come out and he'd said, "Look, there aren't going to be any pacts, but for the for the betterment of unionism, we're not going to stand in North Belfast, but we're going to stand in, in every one of the other seventeen constituencies." I think that would have. Been, would have been quite a strong pitch and then I think the DUP probably would have reciprocated with Fermanagh South Tyrone. I think for Steve Aiken now if they do run in North Belfast and if that does cost the seat for Nigel Dodds I think it makes his, his leadership look um, pretty precarious uh, almost immediately after he's come in. So I think in some way he's got to get himself off that hook and I think uh, what he needs to do is probably over the next week or ten days is come out and say look we're not selecting a candidate in North Belfast, but it's not a pact, it's not a deal. Um, we, we, we just think it's for the, for the betterment of unionism that we do that, and I think the DUP will reciprocate. Although it is very interesting how angry the DUP do seem to be about Steve Aik, and he really has gone under, the, under their skin, and I think that's going to be something a pattern that we'll see. Robin Swan was almost, I think, too nice to be also Unionist Party leader, whereas I think Steve will try and rattle them, will try and push them. And I think that could be a strength, but it could also be a weakness, because I think it will lead to some missteps. Um, but we'll see how that how that plays out and how much he gets on their skin. I mean, I think Arlene previously had called him a chihuahua or something like that when, when, uh, when he annoyed her. So I think we could see a bit more barbs and a bit more uh, punchiness, I think, between the two Unionist parties, which I actually think will be good for unionism. Yeah, yeah because over, I mean, particularly in the last six, seven years, in particular, there seems to be an uh, entente cordiale between the DUP and, and also me. When I was growing up, the DUP and the Ulster Unionists were kicking lumps out of each other. Since he has been announced as the incoming leader, Sarah Goody, he has made two declarative statements. One is about remaining being, if in the context of the current deal that Boris Johnson's brought back, he would he would argue remain. And the other is Pax. What do you think about the direction he's he's trying to go on that? It's hard to say. I mean, again, I think it's him just trying to mark, carve out a space for, for the party and trying to make them distinctive because they've been called DUP light up till now. Um, it's hard to know where he's going to go 
on this. And as I said, it's always the case where what what is the rest of the party going to think? And you know, the leadership, as we've seen with past leaders, can go in one direction, and the rest of the party will say, no, we're not prepared to go down that route. So I think that's that's when we'll see really if he's going to be able to take the party with him. That's that's going to be his most important task. So I think yeah, he's starting to set out a wee separate stall for himself. But I think we just need to see how it goes. I think proofs in the pudding, you know. Mm -hmm. You've talked to me a bit about the packs, and we'll get into that in more detail <coughs> in a second. But what about the Remain message that he's talked about? Uh, well, I think, you know, the LCU's party does need to be careful. I mean, they have flip-flopped a bit on this, you know, which led to Danny Kennedy's, I think, poor showing in, in the European election, because we just didn't really know where the LCU's party stood in these issues. I think a strong line would be, you know, remains better than Boris Johnson's deal. I think just to come out so strongly and just say, we're now a Remain party again. I know we're, we're leave and respect the referendum result, but forget all of that that we said, we're now, we're now, we're now Remainers again. So the, the last three years just didn't happen of us. The Unionist Party policy. I think a stronger line would be: Look, are we comparing um, Remain with Boris Johnson's deal? And if that's the comparison, then it's better to Remain. If we're comparing Remain with a with a softer Brexit, let's see what that softer Brexit is, and that might be the better way forward. And I think that would be a stronger line for for Steve Aiken to take. But he's hitched his wagon to this idea that the also Unionist Party are now a Remain party. It remains to be seen whether that's a, a good strategy or not. Yeah, because eighty percent of Unionists in the referendum voted. To leave, so I mean, Sarah, yeah. just on that, it, it is a risky it thing. Is, when you're not, it, it, it is, it is a risk. I mean, you know, I, th I think you know, they're, they're, you're starting to see some sentiment come out where a lot of unionists are saying, "Well, look, we would rather be in the European Union if that protects the union." But whether they will, as you say, go full hard remain, it, it remains to be seen. I don't, I can't see it. I think if it's the case where Boris Johnson's deal looks like it's going to pass through Parliament, you know, you might see some people saying, look, we will take more of a softer Brexit, we will take something new. But I mean, we've seen some lawyers say they would take a broken Article 50, though I don't know how serious they are about that. But um, yeah, I think it is a risk. It is a risk for him. He's going to have to try and take into consideration unionist fears about Boris Johnson's deal and the previous proposal he made as well. Um, and he's going to have to also though, try and navigate that, that, the fact that there's also quite a lot of Remainers in this party as well too. And, and how is he going to do that? And so it is, I think he does need to be careful with this. Mm -hmm. On the other thing he said about obviously Paxton, we've talked to you about this, but let's delve into it a bit more. Uh, Steve Aiken has said that he will uh, it is his intention anyway at this point to run in all 18 constituencies and of course where that will have an impact is probably in three which is North Belfast, Fermanagh South Tyrone and also North Down because they didn't stand there last time and that could have an impact on Sylvia Herman as well. Do you think from their perspective, I mean from an Ulster perspective that maybe in the longer term for their prospects maybe having Nigel Dodds not in that seat could for a, for a longer term prospect destabilise the DUP and maybe help the Austrianists? No, I don't. I think it'll just be viewed by the unionist community as uh, the Austrianist party gifted a seat to Sinn Féin and I, I don't think he would ever, he'll ever get beyond that if that mm -hmm. does happen. Look, I think political parties have to stand in elections. The big difficulty for the Austrianist party is when you step aside, when you step down, people find other parties to vote for. And I think in, in increasing numbers, former Austrianist voters are going for the Alliance Party now. I think what we saw sort of post-1998 was Austrianist uh, voters abandoned the party for the DUP, but that left this rump of you know, 13, 14% of the electorate that had remained with the Austrianist Party. But I think a lot of those 
uh, voters, a lot of, a lot of that, that, a lot of those members of the public are now jumping to the Alliance Party. And once you start voting for a party, you start to get comfortable voting for that party. You start getting the habit of voting that, for mm -hmm. that party. Your know, voting intentions are are habitual, and I think we're seeing that that. You know, the Austrian Party stepping aside, standing down, leaving free runs for the DUP has caused people to vote alliance and has caused part of the alliance surge. So I think for Steve Aiken, he's got to arrest that back and, and you can only do that by standing in elections. So I think for the Austrian Party it's important that they stand in most constituencies across Northern Ireland if they're to reassert themselves as a force. But I do think that you know, they do need to get themselves off this hook that Steve has created for themselves over the weekend with this idea that they're going to run in North, North Belfast. It's just crazy. He needs to back out of that cul-de-sac and back out of it quickly. Okay. Sarah, what do you think? Yes, I think the unionist vote is shrinking, or it's it, you know it, it doesn't just have to attract unionist voters now. He has to attract a wide variety of different people. So maybe standing at taking eighteen constituencies, maybe um, that is a, maybe provides him with a better opportunity to do so. But um, I think you, you were saying come back to the North Belfast question. You know, what is he going to do in those very key seats, and, and how is that going to impact on the wider unionist vote? But yeah, they're going to have to try and win back some votes from people from much more soft unionists or even um, they're possibly even going to have to try and get votes from people who are soft nationalists as well and try and bring them into the fold. I mean, that is that is a challenge for unionism in general. They have to get votes from outside of their base. So th I think that's that's what he needs to look at going forward, which is how, how can he make the Ulster Unionist Party relevant again, to put it bluntly, you know? I think where the DUP are battling the Alliance Party, actually the Ulster Unionist Party standing isn't a bad thing. Because if you look at East Belfast, I mean, when the Ulster Unionist Party stepped aside in East Belfast, the DUP vote was down um, because people I think made a choice and some also unionists voted for Naomi Long but then in 2017 when Hazel Legg was in the election 1500 people voted for the Ulster Unionist Party and Naomi Long's vote went down. Gavin Robinson's vote ironically then went up uh, to about 55%. So I think the Ulster Unionist Party can, where the DUP are fighting the Alliance Party, they can take those disgruntled votes from the unionist community. People are saying I will never come hell or high water, vote DUP, and of them with no Ulster Unionist Party in the election, have gone for the Alliance Party and have increased their vote. And I think also for the Ulster Unionist Party, coming back to the point I made a few minutes ago, I think it's important for the Ulster Unionist Party to be in those elections because you can't then go back in the Assembly election and say, well, we want your vote back now. Yeah. And it, we know your vote wasn't important in the general election, but it's important now. And I think people just don't buy that. People don't like that. They've got comfortable voting for other parties. So I think Steve Aiken's right. And I don't think it harms the DUP's chances in East Belfast or South Belfast with the Ulster Unionist Party there. Ironically, actually, I think it helps them. Mm -hmm. And obviously you've got North Down, where again, Steve Aiken's on the Remain wing. He's probably got the most vocal Remainer uh, from Northern Ireland in the House of Commons, Sylvia Herman. The Ulster Unionists didn't run last time, but if you factor their result in, had they done so, the DUP probably would have gained that seat when mm. you think they were only, Alex Easton was just 2,000 votes behind Sylvia Herman. Mm. Um, Ironically, that could end up seeing the end of Sylvia Herman if they do run. So. Yeah, and there will be a lot of people very disappointed about that. A lot of people really like Sylvia, and she's been uh, really the sole Remain voice in the House of Commons for a lot of people here. Um, I've been really been the only one who has been advocating that point of view for Northern Ireland. So yes, that will there will be a lot of people who might be a bit annoyed about that if that is the case. But there's also hope that maybe Sylvia will still be able to garner mm -hmm. some extra Remain votes because obviously there's there's maybe a slight indication that Remain voters are starting to turn up. So, but we will just have to see. Mm -hmm.
I think it's a unionist seat. It's a unionist who's going to win it. Why can't unionists have the choice of who they want to win the seat? I mean, I, I just think it would be bizarre for the Ulster Unionist Party not to run in, in North Down. It would just be a very strange decision. So I think they didn't run last time. Yes, and, and I think it was a strange decision last time as well. You've got to run an election. Political parties exist to fight elections. What do you say in the electorate of, of a staunchly unionist constituency if you don't want to fight uh, in the general election? Just let a political opponent who's fallen out with your party take the seat. I mean, what the way? What the way have been better doing is going back to Sylvia Herman and saying, is there any way we can get you back into the fold and become an Ulster Unionist again? Might have been the more sensible tactic than stepping aside. But, you know, I, I just think it would be crazy for them not to run in North Down. It would, be, it would, look, it would look bizarre if they weren't going to do something in North Belfast, but they were prepared to do something in North Down. That, that really would, yeah. would be yeah. raise eyebrows, I think. The ultimate one is, is of course, Fermanagh South Tyrone, where, um, again, hugely symbolic for both uh, republicanism and unionism as well. I mean, Michelle Gildrini won by a pretty de for by FST standards. It's, it's a pretty decent margin, nine hundred votes. She beat Tom Elliott. Do you think that that they will agree a pact? I mean, that unionism has done a pact in every election since twenty ten in that constituency. So. I think it'd be odd if the DUP put somebody up. I mean, who would they put up their, to fight their the seat? Party you know? leader is the well, MLA for Fermanagh South Throne. It would. Uh, I just. I don't see that happening. I don't see her running Fermanagh South Throne. I just don't see the DUP putting someone up there, even if a pact is or isn't done in North Belfast, or a decision to step away uh, rather than call it a pact. Uh, if the Unionist Party decided to do that, I don't see what's in it for the DUP to run in Fermanagh South Throne. I mean, Tom Elliott with another perfect storm uh, can come through the middle and take that. I think it's highly unlikely. One in ten chance, something like that, where the you know just a perfect storm happens, the SDLP vote and the Sinn Féin vote sort of perfectly align for, for the unionists to come through the middle. I think um, you know it's a possibility, uh, but if the DUP were to run that constituency, there's no chance. So I think you know the DUP are, definitely won't run that. I, I don't think even even if nothing else is agreed, because they'll they'll not want to be seen as a party who have in any way enabled a, a Sinn Féin uh, candidate to be elected. Okay. Well. Thank you so very much. A lot to unpack there. Uh, so thank you for walking us all through it. And that is it for this month's uh, Slugger TV. I want to thank my guests, Tim Curtin and Sarah Crichton. We'll be back next month. But in the meantime, you can keep up to date on sluggerotool.com. Thank you for watching. <laughs>